Well, good morning. It's a... Hey, hey, someone's awake. This is a good corner. You're right. (laughs) Notes from Sunday school. That was a lovely lesson, Corey. I'm going to put those away. It's a pleasure to be here and be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Glad you could all make it. I see some friends back from college. It's good to see you all. Hey, Jackson. It's good to see you all as well. We are going to be... That wasn't funny at all. Like, that wasn't even, I'm getting to her, okay? One shout out at a time. Hey, I am glad you're here. We're going to talk about uh, Luke chapter 2, and you're like, hey, we've done this before. Yeah, it's a Christmas theme, okay? I don't know what to tell you, all right? There's only so much yard work that, to work with when you're preaching at Christmas, but I promise it will complement nicely what we looked at last week as Pastor walked through Luke chapter 2 as well. And I want to talk to you for a moment about holiday fatigue, all right. How many of you on any level are feeling holiday fatigue this year? Anybody at all? Okay, a few honest people. All right. Uh, holiday fatigue is the exhaustion resulting from the additional stress of the holiday season. And whether you know the term or not, most of us have felt it at some point or another. Work deadlines, school exams, fighting the crowds at stores as we try to find the perfect gift bloated spending, blown budgets, family gatherings, traveling with children, decorating the house, undecorating the house, cleaning the house, extra parties at work, school, church, cantatas, middle school band concerts, changing our eating habits because it doesn't count around Christmas time, a lack of daylight, a lack of exercise because it gets dark so soon, a lack of fresh air. It has the essential effect of eating what I thought of as triple thick peppermint milkshakes for breakfast every day and wondering why we don't feel great. Maybe you have felt that. It's like we took seasonal affective disorder and we put a Santa hat on top. And we're like, why is everyone so tired? Praise the Lord. But as we go through peace, hope, and today we look at joy, if we're honest, sometimes at this time of year, bloated, tired, and broke seem more appropriate or at least more realistic. I personally don't know what this is like. I've never experienced this. Never in my life. In fact, here's a look quickly at my December. December 6th, my daughter turned 12. December 9, my nephew had his sixth birthday party at Craig's Cruisers. December 15, that was Friday, my son turned 14. December 20, my dad, I'm not allowed to tell you how old he turns, but my dad's birthday is the 20th. I can say this, December 22nd, my dad retires after 46 and a half years of the same company. You can clap, he's probably in the overflow, he's not in here. I asked him, dad, I said, 46 years, that's amazing, what do you get, like a car, a Rolex? He goes, we're going to have pizza. I'm like, pizza? He goes, no, 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 it's stuffed crust. And for him, that's, he's like, maybe it'll spring for donuts. That was, he was, he's happy as a clam, pizza and donuts, 46 years, that's a deal. And did I mention that today? 18 years ago today, I had quite the occasion as I gathered. Uh, Brianna was my flower girl. 18 years ago today, I married my wife. And uh, in the auditorium there, and she's very happy I'm showing pictures of her. It was a grand occasion. Many of you were there for it. I have a bat that many of you signed. That was our guest book. Autographed, said that you were at our wedding. It still hangs in my office. And I tell you what, with everything going on in December, by the way, that's my family life. I haven't even touched Christmas yet, all right, (laughs) or the band concerts. I never tired of celebrating my marriage because I'm so blessed. God has given me such an amazing wife. 
I, I never tire of that occasion because my, the cause is so amazing. And Sam DeMann, who's not with us tonight, or this morning, Sam DeMann said, at my wedding, there was someone going off the camera and taking little snippets, and they said, what's, what's your advice? And I only remember one, and it's Sam's. And he says, if you don't love her more in 20 years than you do today, you're doing it wrong. I'm not at 20 years yet, but 18 years in, honey, I love you more today. I love you. So when a pastor says, hey, I've got to preach this message to myself first about holiday fatigue, doesn't apply to me at all. I've got it mastered. I've figured out how to maintain boundaries and schedules and never get grumpy. (laughs) One person here who works in the office with me regularly knows that was not true. So then the question is, what are we to do in this season? Do we skip the decorations or maybe just one Charlie Brown Christmas tree? Do we say, no presents this year, we're going to boycott the work party, and we're cutting off all family for the sake of our own health and sanity? Maybe, maybe. But I don't think a hearty bah humbug is the cure when we're seeking joy at Christmas. I don't think becoming a Scrooge is what we need to do because it will not restore joy when we have lost that sense. And to be honest, I don't have four easy steps for simplifying your Christmas schedule. It's not that easy. But I hope today, as we look again at Luke chapter 2, we can reorient our hearts and minds and, where necessary, prioritize our schedules in our lives. So this morning, let us carry along the real-world backdrop that Pastor Brett painted for us last week as we return to the theater where the players of heaven and earth collide in one grand production. With shepherds, a company of angels, and a lowly nativity, let us consider the terror of that night and the joy that followed at the birth of our Savior, and in so doing, let us reorient our hearts and minds back to Christ, that we may see how we ought to worship and celebrate this year. And maybe it'll look very similar to last year, or maybe it'll look very different. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, if you haven't already. Let me read the text again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which is just as they had been told. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this morning that we can hit pause and all of the chaos that is this season. And we can be here 
and we can be still, and we can behold him who came to save us. Father, I pray this morning that you would use me in spite of me. I am an unfit vessel, but the Holy Spirit is great. I pray that as I speak today, they would not hear me or see me. My desire is not that any say that was a good job. My desire is when we walk out today, everyone will say, our God is good. May that come through your word. We love you, Father. We praise you. And you see my pray. Amen. I want to walk through this text a little bit. And starting in the first verse, it says, Shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Why did God choose shepherds to be his witness? Pastor Brett already touched on some of this, so I'm not going to belabor this point very long at all this morning. I would simply add this. Their inclusion of shepherds in this story looks back to King David, who before he became the greatest king in the history of Israel, first served as a lowly shepherd, last among his brothers. The inclusion of shepherds draws our attention back to God, the shepherd of his people Israel, and reminds us of Psalm 23. The inclusion of shepherds looks forward to the nature of Jesus' ministry as the good shepherd, John 10. Like many of the people he ministered to, shepherds were low in stature, considered untrustworthy and unclean. Jesus truly came to be savior to all, not just the religious elite. And finally, the inclusion of shepherds points us forward to the church ministry and the the ministry specifically of pastors as they shepherd the church, as Peter taught in chapter 5, verse 2. So we have shepherds and we know that. But the next verse continues, verse 9, about the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Some translations will say terribly frightened. I like that better. Uh, some will, uh, the literal translation is, they feared a great fear. All right? What a big emotion that was. All right? I've heard a parent say that before. Not in my house, but I've heard it. They feared a great fear. The word terribly means megos. It's not hard. You don't need to know Greek to know what that means. Big, really, really big. Mega. And the word frightened is phobeo. And yes, we get to where we get our word phobia. I'm sure maybe some of you have phobias. I have reasonable phobias like grizzly bears. They eat people. That's reasonable to be scared of them. Calling people on the phone, also equally reasonable. I don't like it at all. Okay, I'm a millennial. I will text you if I need you. But it means a great fear. The word phobeo literally means to cause one to flee. It's not just like, oh, I'm very scared. It's like, run away! The angel appeared to them, and the shepherd's first instinct was to be flooded with terror and like, run away! One time when I was a child, I was playing catch with my neighbor in his backyard, and the parents had one rule. You can play baseball, but you can't use a hardball. We forgot. I mean, I assume we forgot. I don't know. It was so long ago. I don't know what the motives were, but we were playing catch with the hardball, and he threw one and went terribly wide, and there's a large window in the back of their house, and the ball found it, and it shattered, and the shattering filled my ears, and my heart was filled with, run away, and I got about 14 steps out of their yard and realized, they're my neighbors. They saw me already today, and I put my head down, and I walked back, right? That is the sense that we get here in this text. We do not often associate terror with Christmas. That's more Halloween's territory. It doesn't fit with the tone of our favorite Christmas music, nor our favorite Christmas movies. 
Though I do find one movie that seemed to really understand the role fear plays in the Christmas narrative, and I'm not talking about something written by Tim Burton, that nightmare. I'm talking about 1970 adaptation of A Christmas Carol entitled Scrooge. Has anybody seen that version? All right, a few people. I know it's a deep, it's like we're going deep in the, in the cut of, of Christmas movies, right? I, I thought it was a, a timeless classic. It's what I grew up watching every year. Thank you, Mom. I grew up watching this movie every year. Okay, my, my wife watched Muppets Christmas Carol. That's lowbrow. I watched the sophisticated musical. And one year we watched a Muppets Christmas Carol with my kids, and I was like, that was so great. She got to share that tradition with our children. This was a few years ago. I'm like, I want to show you guys the version I watched. Parents, have you ever watched a movie with your children? And you're like, that was not what I watched as a child. It's like a Christmas miracle. It's a completely different movie. Now, it's not like profane or anything, but it just, my kids were traumatized. My daughter's watching, Daddy, why is that man dancing on that other man's casket singing, thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. It's like, what was the nice thing he did? I'm like, let's talk later, okay? (laughs) And it doesn't stop there. Why is the ghost of Christmas future the Grim Reaper? And does that apply to all futures? Because this is the future. Or, or, and, then he, and then in that movie, he takes them into this one man's version of what hell is going to look like for Ebenezer Scrooge. And he's wrapping him. And it's terrifying. And I just remember, like, I had apologized to my children. We don't like fear in our Christmas movies. We don't like scary either. I don't even recommend you go watch that version. You can, it's intriguing, but it's terrifying. (laughs) But fear runs throughout the Christmas story. You can't understand the Christmas story if you first do not feel the fear and the terror that caused the players to want to run in fright. Zechariah was gripped with fear upon seeing the Lord's angel appear to him in Luke chapter 1. Mary was afraid of the angel when the angel appeared and afraid of the news of being pregnant out of wedlock. The angel comforted her. Joseph was afraid to wed Mary and planned to dismiss her quietly. And the shepherds here are greatly afraid. And in all of these, we see the same word, phobeo, to flee, to be terrified. We must not erase the fear from Christmas because it is the poignant reminder that fear is sometimes not just a common response, but at times the right response. Fear is the right response to encountering a holy God when he interjects into human history. This angel is not merely a ghost of business partners wrapped in chains. By the way, 1970 Scrooge Marley is played by Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I'm so confused about Force Ghosts now because I am that Star Wars nerd. (laughs) The angel is not merely a ghost of a former business partner wrapped in chains, nor is he the spirit of Christmas past, present, or future. This is an angel of the Lord surrounded by the manifest radiance of God's perfect holiness. The shepherds respond like all who have encountered the glory of God. The Hebrews at the side of the mountain were afraid when they saw Moses' face after he had just a glimpse of the back of the glory of God. And his face shone. Isaiah in chapter 6 says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. You cannot remain in the presence of a holy God. Saul fell off his horse as he rode to Damascus as the light shined upon him. And John, Jesus' best friend on earth in Revelation 4, when he sees Christ on the horse, falls down like a dead man. 
Why did Jesus come as a babe and not a triumphant king? Perhaps because we would have melted before him. Falling down like dead men, filled with mega fear that wreaks terror in our heart, unlike any we have ever felt before, desperate to flee his presence. Oh, the grace of God. That he would veil his glory and come and allow the angels to sing glory to God on high. That we would not be so terrified And thank God he came not to terrify us, but to eradicate our fear with his perfect love. Let's go back to the text in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And it's not a rebuke. He doesn't say, he doesn't rebuke them. Oh, stop it. Right? It's not rebuking them for fear. He's comforting them. You do not need to be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And the symmetry of the word great joy there is just fantastic. Again, great, mega, we get this, not hard. Joy is one of uh, three words in the New Testament that gets translated joy. It's the most common word used. There's four words total in scripture that are translated joy in our English Bibles. Or sorry, seven words. Four in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. Some of them are synonyms and translations, but there's seven words total. This word's the most common, and it certainly can mean to be filled with, filled with a feeling of joyfulness. That is part of it. I was always taught joy is not an emotion, except in Scripture it is. Um, but it is part of joy is the emotion we feel when we encounter something good, in particular God, right? But there's more to this, and there's more to the idea of joy in Scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a word for joy which just means shouts of jubilation, Rochelle, will you like that kind of joy? That's Rochelle joy. If you need an illustration, ta-da. All right? There's another word that is translated joy or to rejoice, which just means large community celebrations. That's joy. Right? It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling at our favorite Christmas music. It is more than that, though it certainly can encompass a feeling of joy. The word here that's used in Greek actually has a unique emphasis. The word emphasizes both a cause and an occasion for joy. And as I was studying that, I just, I just loved it. I just kept digging it. It emphasizes a cause and the occasion for joy. So when the angel says this will be, there's good news, that'll be great joy. It'll be the cause of great joy. And this is the occasion of that cause, the birth of our Lord and Savior. So it answers why we have joy as well as when and how we ought to express that joy. As I was studying this, my mind was drawn to Nehemiah, and yours probably was too, uh, that classic Christmas narrative. If you know anything about Nehemiah, you know this. Pastors like to bring it out when we're about to announce a building project. And having recently paid off the mortgage, I would like to... No, we're not. There's no building project. But that's the first use. The second thing you would know about Nehemiah is this one verse in in chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? It's another one of our favorite poster verses. And that actually is the verse I want to focus on. But I want to zoom out a little bit. Because I think the story that's going on here gives us a great picture of both the cause and an occasion and how that produces joy, and how we respond with joy. So let's look at the rest of that verse there, the rest of verse 10. And it says this, Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, 
and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's so much going on, and I'm not going to pull it all apart, but I want to highlight a few things to help us understand cause and occasion as it pertains to joy, and then we'll see how that pertains to us in Christmas time. By chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the city wall of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. And in fact, in this chapter 8, they had gathered as a sort of building dedication, if you will. They're gathered together, and the, the whole, all the men come around, and they're reading large swaths of the Pentateuch. They're just reading the law. And it goes on for hours and hours, like we're going to do this morning. It just keeps going. And, and it says that then the, the, the teachers went out amongst the people and are teaching them what the Old Testament, what the law had said. And as they're doing this, the people start to weep. And the word weep there is the word that says it's, it's to cry like a father who has lost their son. To weep. Why? Because they realized they'd neglected God's law for generations. And they realized they had been unfaithful to their God who has been so good to them. And they're heartbroken and they're just weeping, and they're repentant and remorseful, like, what have we done? We've, we've been unfaithful to God. And in the midst of this, which seems like such a right response to realizing you've been unfaithful to the word of God, right? We'd be like, that is a good response. And, and Ezra and Nehemiah are like, whoa, 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 stop. Not today. Somewhere along the line, while reading this, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Today's the Feast of Trumpets. Today's a celebration. We have to wait to weep. We have to celebrate today because weeping is the right response unless it prevents obedience. And today we are commanded to rejoice. And so the people have to get control of themselves. And this is why he says, no, 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 go enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred. This is the day of trumpets. Now, I don't know how much you know about the day of trumpets. It's not one of those things we talk about all the time, but it was the first day of the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar. Seven is a significant number. On the seventh day, the Lord rested. On the seventh month, it was set aside. It was sort of a, a Sabbath month in the Hebrew calendar. And the, the Feast of Trumpets kind of started that. And it was celebrated, it actually doesn't say trumpets, it's the Feast of Blasts, but that's what they're blasting with. We had trumpets. Thank you, gentlemen, for providing an illustration for us today. They would trumpet to proclaim the start of this, this celebration month. It was the first day, a month of Sabbath, marked with three. Uh, the month had three festivals. This was the day one. Uh, on day 10 would be the day of atonement. So that's a good day for repentance of your sins. Today is a day of joy. On day 15 was the Feast of Tabernacles. Like we just, like Nehemiah, like it just drops right into this holiday season, right? They re, they, it's like you haven't been to church in a long time and you, you show up and you're like, whoa, it's Christmas Eve. Like I got, I got to be, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And they're got to remind them of what and how they're supposed to celebrate these festivals. But the point is not festivals for festival's sake. The point is festivals for God's sake. This festival is situated at the conclusion of the grape harvest. And before the arrival of the seasonal rains that were necessary for the crops to come. It was at a critical point in their life as agriculturalists. It represented a time of vulnerability. 
And this festival in particular was a day to remember God's faithfulness in the past to Israel. That one hurts a bit when you realize you've been neglecting the word of God for generations. Oh, and today's a day to celebrate his faithfulness to us? Ouch. In Nehemiah, Israel has been unfaithful. And it's a call to remind us that we are to be reliant on the God to provide. That's the cause. Right? We don't just blow trumpets because it's fun. It is. But because there's a cause behind it that creates the occasion to remember it. The festival. And then we have the, fe- the, uh, the Day of Atonement. And then we have the Festival of Tabernacles, which is a reminder of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. And they would live, in, and they'd put up tents and booths, if you will, uh, in Jerusalem around the temple. And they would live there for a week. And they would, they, they, they would remind themselves of how God provided throughout this wandering. See, God is the cause in every one of the festivals you find in the Old Testament. And I absolutely love that. Hallmark did not get that memo. They find everything to be a cause. And so it is in this that they say, stop. Today is not a day for mourning, even though we have failed. Today is a day for joy. It's a day of celebration. And they would do this, and they would celebrate this with feasts. They would stop working, because to stop working meant I'm going to trust God to provide. And then they would offer sacrifice to say that I give back out of the abundance you've given us. In all of these things, we see a picture of a cause, and that cause is always God. It is his faithfulness that causes them to stop working and to reflect, to sound trumpets. By the way, the trumpet would be an instrument of war. Isn't that interesting as well? In Nehemiah 8, right, a sword and a trowel as they build. A wall represents protection for a people, right? A wall represents security, And they've just finished building and they're outside the wall and they're reading all of this. And with all of this, this celebrating God's faithfulness and look, we've rebuilt finally, but also this wall, which, hey, let's be honest, we're tempted to trust man's strength to defend us, Israel, but it's God's covenant and their faithfulness to God that is a condition of God's protection of his people. And it's all of this going on. Then we get to, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. He is faithful. He will provide. He's the one who will protect us. Israel, we were in captivity because we forgot that. And now he's brought us back. And so we celebrate with great joy. Cause and occasion. Cause without occasion is very hollow. Yesterday, my wife and I, we went out to celebrate our anniversary because I had to work today. They didn't let me have it off. Did I mention I have a youth group church party, Christmas party tonight? Because I have nothing going on. I really set good boundaries. I didn't just wake up and be like, yeah, happy anniversary, honey. Really love it. The cause brought to occasion. Christmas, we have a cause. And Christmas is the occasion. The Feast of Tabernacles has a cause of God's faithfulness and provision And they decide to sleep in tents for seven days as an occasion. You think Christmas is rough. Can you imagine if our culture got a hold of the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way? 
The gear reviews on YouTube, the Black Friday discount sales on tents and sleeping pads, and you know one family's rolling into the city with their new fifth-wheel trailer, right? You know, they're like, hey, just got to carry the cross for the Lord, right? Feast of Tabernacles, and they're going to be living in luxury. We would have destroyed, our culture would destroy the Feast of Tabernacles. Not so there. For Israel, their delight in God and his commandments was their joy and their strength. The same is true for us, though, in a different way. Christmas can be a hectic time of year, but the problem is not Christmas. That's the occasion for rejoicing. I would go so far as to say that it's not even the extra church programs and special musics, though I understand those who are involved, they can be very tiring. But the effort is worth it when the cause is great. Our effort is to make great of God. The problem with Christmas is that we've lost sight of the cause. And we wonder why we feel no joy. Let us not neglect Christ. If we look back to our main text now, we see that joy is also the right response to God. In Matthew chapter 10, the Magi rejoiced greatly, right? They rejoiced a great joy is what it actually says. They rejoiced a great joy when they saw the star that was going to lead them to the Messiah. John leapt within the womb for joy at the presence of the unborn Messiah. Mary sang for joy as she pondered the news in God's favor in her life. Why would she be chosen an unworthy vessel? And the angels proclaimed the joy of this good news for all who are willing to hear. But what turned the joy, or excuse me, what turned the fear, that where they start, everyone will start with fear, what turns fear into joy? It was the good news. It is always the good news. And it's right there in the text. It says there, I bring good news that will cause great joy. Cause. I bring good news that will cause great joy. And it says, what good news? They spell it out for us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That is some terrific news. Emmanuel, God with us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the line between fear and joy. It is the thing, he is the one who turns our fear into joy. And I love this, the way God just puts it together. It wasn't even on my mind. And then Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This was in our devotions I was doing with some teenagers this week. And I want to read it. I just wrote it down just so I could look it up. It says this, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that he might free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. He came to set us free. We should, he came to eradicate our fear. Now, our fear is turned into a holy awe, and sometimes we lose reverence. But I also want to balance that with, when we think of reverence, we often think of stoicism. I'm very, I'm very refined. I worship the Lord in reverence. And you get people like Rochelle and Haley, and we're out there like, we're going crazy, and like, that is not reverent. No, that is joy. Reverence and joy are not opposites. They are not uh, antonyms of each other. They are synonyms. Now, we can be flippant, and that is not reverent. We must not run before a holy God, because sometimes the right response is fear. But it is also joy because of Christ come. God became man. And he tabernacled among us. What a feast. He shaded his glory that we would not be terrified to flee. That he might glorify the Father by living in perfect obedience. 
And then he humbled himself unto death on a tree. But he did not remain dead. He rose again. He conquered death. He conquered sin. And now, because of that, I have peace with God. I have eternal hope. I have joy in my life. This is what Christmas has done for us. Because it's what Christ has done. And it's not because life is great, but because our God is great. We've all been through some stuff this year. I was sharing this this night. My wife and I, in our day last night, we were talking about, we reflect, right? We go out and we reflect. And what was the year like? And I'm the optimist, apparently. Like, it was pretty good. I mean, we had a good family vacation. Like, we, the kids are growing. They're, 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 you know, and she's like, what year were you living in? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, I had cancer. Okay, yeah, that, that counts. Like, she's like, uh, your son broke his jaw and missed half his baseball season? I'm like, yeah, okay. She's like, I had TMJ so bad it locked my jaw. I had to eat liquid foods for six weeks. I'm like, yeah, I know, but smoothies are good. Right? And I like, you know, like, I was just, I, I, we had a very different perspective of the year because she's a pessimist, okay? (laughs) She needs joy. Her middle name is Joy. (laughs) And she is my joy. So I can go home today. Joy is a right response. Not because life is great, but because our God is great. And even when life knocks you for a loop, our foundation remains unshaken. So how then are we to respond this morning and this year, this season, this holiday, which means holy day, how are we to respond? I will offer four quick applications directly from the text and we'll be done today. And the first is quite obvious. The first response to celebrating is celebration. The right response to Christ's birth is to celebrate. So shout and sing and clap your hands, give gifts, gather with loved ones, friends and family, prepare a feast, share with those who have less, but not because of tradition and not because of cultural norms. No, heaven to Betsy, no. No, our culture is trying to create an occasion without a cause or at best making the occasion the cause itself and that will never endure. That will not hold up. If you make Christmas the point of Christmas, it will fall empty and you will feel empty. Christ is the cause. Christmas is not but the occasion for us to make great of our God. Can you imagine Hallmark? Hey Bill, uh, what's with the cake and streamers? Does somebody retire? Oh no, no, it's just a Thursday, right? There's a Hallmark card for that, I'm sure. At least have stuffed crust pizza and donuts. No, we celebrate because of what Christ has done. Because the cause of Christmas is so great that the occasion is worth the effort. I'm not saying you have to do everything you do every year. Some things probably need to get cut from your schedule. Fact. There are probably things in our schedule this holiday season, this Christmas season, which are distracting us from the cause. They are not an occasion that points us back to God's faithfulness and grace. Be filled with the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ And even those who you have uh, much to mourn this season. And I know there are many out there who this is not always the easiest season for you. I'm letting you know that you have permission to grieve as well this year. But in the cause of grief may be very different than Nehemiah. But I also want to encourage you to participate in the act of rejoicing. Not because you feel full of joy at every moment of the season. As many of you mourning a lost loved one or lost job or health. There's many things going on in our congregation. But we still give thanks and rejoice because our God is still great. And Christ still came 
and conquered death and has freed us. So you can grieve, that is a right response, but, but also rejoice. So we rejoice and we celebrate, that is good. Number two, verse 14, it said, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. The second right response this morning is to praise God, to sing songs, to tell of what he has done. The Roman culture that Pastor Brett opened up for us last week, that is the stage of this Christmas narrative, they believed that the chief aim of man was to achieve glory for themselves. Everything in their life was about how do I become glorious? They were glory monsters. They would achieve it through war. They would achieve it through politics. They would achieve it through sport. They would achieve it through wealth. Can't even connect with those ideas. And Jesus came as a lowly child in a manger to flip that Roman culture back right side up and say, no, the chief aim of man is to glorify God and to delight in him forever. Let us rejoice. So we praise him. That is a right response. Number three, obedience is a right response this holiday season. Verse 16 says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, when Herod heard the news of the birth of the king of the Jews from the Magi, he and the scribes were certainly afraid of what that might mean for them. That was a threat to his power. And if you know anything about Herod, he was not a stable man. He was a glory monster. And yet, they could not be bothered to travel six miles to Bethlehem to see for themselves. When the shepherds heard the news, they said they hurried off to find them. Following directions, which, let's be honest, sound more like they were given by a middle schooler than a GPS. There's like a, a baby, but it's in the town with the pe- overflowing with people. Oh, it's going to be wrapped in cloth. That might help. And, and a manger, Right? The word that says the shepherds went and says they looked to search, to hunt for. They didn't just go, oh, I know exactly where that is. They, didn't just, they had to go looking through all the town, searching through the night. Where is this one that the angels have told us about? They responded in obedience to what God had told them to do. Herod's fear continued to fester inside of him until it outraged in an act of infanticide. The shepherds rejoiced and worshipped. Do not neglect the word of God this season, but live in joyful obedience. Let us do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. Let us love our neighbor as ourselves and let us love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And finally, number four, as we conclude today, proclaim the good news. Proclamation is a right response this Christmas. Verse 17 says, when they had seen him, the shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And says, and everyone who heard was amazed. After they found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they went off and told others. They could not contain the good news. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is the most loving thing you can do this season. Period. Full stop. His birth changed everything. That's why I have joy. So this Christmas, I implore you, I encourage you, no matter what you are walking through in life, rejoice. Praise God faithfully obey and proclaim that good news. Let me pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, I thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Anything I say is woefully inadequate to express the gratitude that we need and should feel and be filled with at what Christ did for us. 
gave up glory. I don't even know what that all means. But I know it is great. His sacrifice was infinitely great. Father, this, this year I pray that we would all be filled with joy, not for joy's sake, but because we have much to rejoice over. As we remember Christ born as a child who grew, who died, and rose again. And Father, we look forward to the day when we will worship him in full glory, proclaiming for all eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Father. In just name I pray. Amen.